At last I have found you. I have been looking for you for ten years. I believe that I am your half-sister. And I broke into tears and I shouted, Huh, this just isn't true. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 120. If you are an NPE or a late discovery adoptee or newly found out donor conceived individual, there is a hotline that you can call. I have mentioned this before, but I thought I would put this back out there. I like to bring up resources from time to time in case we have any new listeners. And today on Instagram, I was following Right to Know US, and they posted a reminder that they have a hotline. Their hotline is 323-TALK-MPE. And it says here, people call our free hotline for help to identify genetic family, find a therapist experienced with misattributed parentage, or be paired with a mentor with a similar experience who can listen and offer advice. Their website is www.righttoknow.us. And in case you need to be paired with a mentor or find a therapist, feel free to contact this hotline or go on their website. They have a whole bunch of resources for us. It's really a wonderful, helpful advocacy group. So thank you to Write to Know for putting this together. Also, if you're interested in being a mentor, maybe you're further along and you feel like you're ready to support others, you can volunteer your time as well. Service work helps so much for so many of us. And today we will be listening to an NPE story. Today I am speaking with Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, Lily. Mary Ravenstar is what we are calling this episode. Is Ravenstar uh, one? Is Ravenstar a, a Native American name? Yes, Lily. It was a Native American name that I was given by an elder in the Lakota tribe. Well, we are going to be listening to your story today and finding out more about your heritage. So thank you so much for being willing to share today. Well, thank you, Lily. I'm so glad to be here and be able to share. We will go ahead and pass it off to you right now. So if you would like to start with your family of origin and take it into how you found out you were an NPE, I'm just going to pass it over to you. Okay. Well, I was born in 1947 at the Art Center Hospital on Woodward Avenue, and that's located in Detroit, Michigan. 
And on my legal birth certificates, my parents are listed as Cora and Alex. Now, my dad was older than my mom. Dad was 36 and mom was 23 when they got married on April 1945. My dad worked as a bookkeeper and my mom was a waitress when they met. My father was from Detroit, of course, in the North, and was well-educated and was raised Catholic. And my mom was from Kentucky and not well-educated, and she was a Baptist. (laughs) I used to laughingly say that mom and dad met, and they had their own civil war, and I was the product of that civil war. But one thing was for sure, mom wanted to have a marriage, a happy home, and a baby. I really can't say much about my childhood as a baby because the sad truth was when I was six months old, my father went to prison for forgery. My mother was left with a baby, me, to care for, and no husband and no money on hand. But she hooked up with my dad's best friend. And again, sorry to say that when I was 16 months old, my mom, her new love, and two younger men robbed a bar. They were later apprehended, and I apparently went to social services. I ended up being given to my maternal grandmother and my step-grandfather who lived in Kentucky. My first memories, of course, from childhood are being cared for by my grandparents. And my grandpa, he worked on various farms as a farmhand and sometimes as a carpenter. And my grandmother worked as a head cook in a large boarding house when grandpa was between jobs. We lived in poverty and it was poverty like uh, the songs like Loretta Lynn sings and Dolly Parton. And, um, The one thing was for sure, though, we had love. And I can remember in these early childhood memories that um, I was very much loved. I was so doted on by my grandparents. And I was surrounded by aunties and uncles and cousins who also showered me with lots of love. And uh, one day when I was about five, my grandma told me, your mom's coming home. And I didn't fully understand what the fuss was all about. My grandparents, they had a beautiful wedding picture of my parents hanging on the wall. And every night when I would go to bed, they'd say, blow kisses up to your mom and dad, which I did. And mom came home that summer of 1951. And oh, I have to say she was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen in my life. She had this beautiful dark hair and, of course, high cheekbones, but she had sparkling blue eyes. And she had, I guess, the beauty you would say of Elizabeth Taylor. That's how I remember her. And she was so happy to see me. And we played a game of running around the yard. And when uh, we'd run around the yard and then we'd fall down on the grass and she would hug and kiss me. And then we'd get up and do it all over again and again. 
we had a big family reunion that summer, as I remember, and my grandma took lots of uh, Polaroids, not Polaroids, but with her brownie camera. And I really treasure looking at those pictures that just captured that happy event in our lives. Well, my mom, she eventually got to go to work in the city, and we lived in the country, of course, and she met a man that eventually would become my stepfather. However, he was um, a terrible drinker, but he doted on me. And when they came to see me uh, on weekends, he would give me piggyback rides, as I remember. And it was always fun and exciting whenever they came to see me on the weekends. However, with mom being in and out of my life for large periods of time, um, I began to develop abandonment issues over the years. But it was a given fact that I would continue to live with my grandma and my grandpa, and mom would continue to visit me on weekends. However, when I was beginning um, my second grade, my grandparents moved to Indiana, and they took me with, with them, of course. And then I didn't get to see my mom except at Christmas and in the summer. And I can remember uh, in the fourth grade, I got to stay with her back in Kentucky for a week. And she had a TV (laughs) and we didn't, of course. Uh, And I finally got to see the Mickey Mouse show. So that's one of the wonderful memories that I have from that time. Later, during my fifth and sixth grade, my grandparents moved back to Kentucky to take care of my maternal uh, great-grandmother. And I got to see my mom more often and visit with her on weekends again. It was, it was during this time of the fifth and sixth grade that my cousin Viola told me one day that my dad was in prison. And I didn't know this information at the time. And I looked inside a suitcase uh, that my grandmother kept pictures in and important papers. And I found a letter from my dad written when he was in prison. And he stated he was so happy that my grandparents were taking care of me. And so this letter verified to me that what my cousin Viola told me was really true. It was shocking, but it was true. Later, she told me a story that I would just try to forget and bury in my subconscious mind. She told me that I did not belong to my mom and dad. My mom had told her mom, my Aunt Catherine, that she couldn't have babies. And I later asked my grandmother about this information that Viola had shared with me. And Grandma got a funny look on her face, and she told me, Well, honey, you were picked up at the hospital by your mom and dad, and you were wrapped up in that beautiful pink bunting that is in the cedar chest. And somehow, I still believe that I belong to my mom and dad. I thought, after all, aren't all babies picked up at the hospital and taken home and wrapped up in pink? (laughs) Well, during this time of my fifth and sixth grade, I became best friends with Marcia, and her dad was a professor at a nearby college, and her mom was a former dancer and our 4-H leader, and She had two brothers and a younger sister, and they they lived in this beautiful large house with running water and two bathrooms, and they always had interesting conversations during their family meals, 
And being with them was just like a bomb to my soul. And I guess I went into a fantasy world and I would pretend this, this is my real family. This is how real families must act because I didn't know anything different. Well, by now, my stepfather was a full-blown alcoholic, and he and mom even owned a, a rough bar uh, in, a, in a rough neighborhood, and I had to endure being with them on weekends when I visit them. Uh, but in the bar, I was appeased with Coke and potato chips, which were a luxury to me. And I think this is where I began developing like a, a, an addiction to eating junk food uh, because it just helped my wounded soul. And I'd spend time listening to the jukebox and playing the pinball machine. And uh, the customers would uh, give me money too to do all of this and play pinball with me. So anyway... My great-grandmother then passed away uh, at our home near the end of my sixth grade, and we moved back to Indiana, Grandma and Grandpa and I. And my grandpa finally got his Social Security disability, and we were able to purchase a home. It was a miraculous. And I was happy because I finally had my own bedroom, and the house had running water. Wow. It was a big change from living in Kentucky in the country. Once again, though, I wasn't around my mom for a few years, and eventually she and my stepfather moved to Indiana, and they even lived with us for a time. And they got jobs in the next town, and they moved over there. And once more, I was visiting them on weekends. How, however, now it was a mixture of emotions for me as puberty was kicking in. And I got to go to the movies on Friday night, and that was a real treat for me. But I have to say by now my mom was becoming an alcoholic. And so I endured weekends uh, with both of them ending up in a drunken stupor by the time that I would go home on Sunday. And one Sunday, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I called my grandpa to come and get me. And he was there in no time at all. However, we never talked about the incident or never brought it out in the open. It seemed like everything was always hidden. As I became uh, a teenager then, I used to verbally argue with my mom when she'd get drunk, and I'd say, I'm not your child. And she would get so mad and she would cry and she said, oh, I felt every birth pain. And I just thought, I'm going crazy. I just wondered what the real truth was. Well, my grandparents moved back to Kentucky for a short time when I was in the 11th grade. And, and my mom and my stepdad moved into the house. And um, then we were together, mom, my stepdad and me. And by this time, I had met my future husband. And the drinking, I have to say, went on and on. And I can remember that Christmas when I was 17, and my future husband came to get me and take me over to his house for the day. And I just left them in bed, drunk, out of their mind on that Christmas day. It was one of the saddest Christmas days that I remember, but it was a joy being with my husband, my future husband, and his family. Well, one surely cannot drink and live that way for long. And 
my mom, she died in January then in the hospital. And my grandparents, they came back to Indiana and came back to our home. And I was safe again. And I was just so thankful. I graduated and got married after high school. And we had a, a child. We had a son. My grandpa died two years later. And my grandma went to live with my auntie, whose husband had also died. And I really had felt bad because I really didn't know my birth certificate dad or I'd never met him. And my husband found him one day uh, uh, calling on the telephone and he was in Michigan. And um, so we went to Detroit to see him. And when I first met my birth certificate dad, uh, I was 22 and I told him mom had died and he was devastated. But I told him he had a grandson and that the grandson was named after him. And he was just so happy to have me in his life and to have a grandson too. After I met my dad, I asked him, did mom give birth to me? And he said, well, of course she did. And he explained that mom had a tilted uterus and they went to the doctor who repaired it and boom, she got pregnant. Oh, I still didn't know what to believe. It just sounded so true. I'd always wanted to be daddy's little girl. I was grandpa's little girl, but never daddy's little girl. And I thought it could happen even though I was all grown up. However, it didn't turn out that way. Dad got into some minor trouble again, and he was sent to a camp. And so he even told our son that he worked at the camp when we visited him. And eventually he was paroled to me. And my dream of a father-daughter relationship and being loved and taken care of was completely shattered at that point. He lived with us, of course, for a time upon his release. And my grandma was also living with us since my auntie passed away. And um, even then, they didn't bring the truth forward, the two of them. And my dad began to try to control my life, and he was upset by the way I was living and wanted me to divorce my husband even. And um, finally, I just, um, I, I told him one day while we were eating out, no, I'm not doing that. And by this time, I had become, um, I went to college and I became a special ed teacher. So... Um, that just was not going to happen. And I let him know. And he began to decline physically after that. And I moved away later, away from away from Indiana even, and from him. I had become involved in um, the New Thought Movement at this time, but also right along with that, with Native American spirituality, when I met some Lakota elders from Rosebud. And I already knew how to act native by being raised by my grandparents. Um, they were part Cherokee, but um, I didn't know how much. And they didn't practice rituals or even live on a reservation. But my grandmother sure looked the part. Well, I resigned from teaching after 15 years uh, near my hometown in Indiana. And my husband and I moved to the Navajo Reservation as a teaching job just fell into my lap. I really wasn't even looking for a job. Um, I just thought I'd, I'd follow my uh, my friends around and I'd sing native songs and go to ceremony with them. 
Um, my husband got a job at Mesa Verde National Park, which was wonderful too. And so if anybody ever wants to be in, involved with Native Amer American culture, New Mexico and Colorado is the place to be, of course. We became even more embedded in Native culture uh, with the Navajo, and we attended Native American church ceremonies. And I was adopted in the clan way now by a student who took me to visit his grandparents who had raised him. So we had something in common. His grandpa was a roadman in the Native American church. And one night in ceremony, his name is Dwayne. He called me mom. And that was all it took. I was now in the Kia'ani clan or the Leaning Tower clan. That was part of his grandmother's clan. And suddenly, though, his auntie told me a few days later, since Dwayne is your son uh, and you're his mother, you have to be a mother to my children, too. And in fact, I had to adopt the whole family. And now I had daughters and I had sisters and brothers and a multitude of family members. It was just awesome. So I can recall going to ceremony one evening and my uh, Navajo sister, her name was Anita, and she was up on the hill preparing mutton over an open fire. <laughs> and when she saw me getting out of the car, she came running down the hill just yelling, my sister, my sister. And those words meant so much to me then, and especially later in my life too. And I was truly part of this family in every way. I eventually had built my whole personality around being part Native and knowing really deep uh, Native American um, ways and ceremonies. And I'd really get mad if anybody would say to me, you sure don't look Native. And I'd say, well, I am. And I took after my dad's side, though, of the family. And I can remember being so mad at God for making me look the way I did. Why didn't I look like my grandmother? But nevertheless, they accepted me, the natives did. And however, I always active native. And I was accepted by natives wherever I went. Well, eventually we did leave the reservation after seven years and move back into the white world. And um, we were at uh, a Thanksgiving dinner with some friends and uh, the man was showing us, our host was showing us genealogy and how he had done his genealogy chart and had DNA results. And we were also fascinated that we said, oh, let's form a group and let's all get our DNA done. So back in uh, Christmas of 2016, my husband and I decided we'd get our own DNA test done as a Christmas present to ourselves. And I wanted to see, most of all, exactly how much Native American blood I had. So that's my childhood story went into my adulthood, though. Mm, thank you for sharing that. I got a beautiful picture of the first few decades of your life. And now I'm guessing you will talk about what your DNA results brought you? Yes, Lily. Well, it was a surprise. I got my test results back, and immediately I saw on the chart that I was 97% Eastern European and 3% other. And I thought, oh, that 3%, that's probably my Native American blood. 
But no, it wasn't. I was 3% Jewish. And what? I thought, what? What? I only have Catholics and Protestants in my family. And where is my Native American blood at? And just then I saw I had a message from Ancestry and I thought, oh, it's just them probably saying, here's your results. Congratulations. But finally, I opened up the message and I looked at the message and it said, at last I have found you. I have been looking for you for 10 years. I believe that I am your half sister. And I broke into tears and I shouted, huh, this just isn't true. However, deep inside, I knew it was true. And I eventually wrote back an email to my half-sister, Donna, saying, Wow, what a surprising story, Donna. Could you please give me more details? And she wrote me back and said that 10 years ago, our mom, whose name was Martha, had accidentally overdosed on her medication, and she was sent to the hospital. She was completely out of her mind from the medication, and she was even signing in as God. And when the doctor was asking her ordinary questions, trying to figure out how she, how much out of her mind she was, like what day is it and so forth, he asked her, how many children do you have? And she told him three. And my sister, Donna, heard this, and she later asked mom, why did you say you had three children, mom? when she knew that there was only two children, her and my half-brother, Roger. And mom explained that in 1947, she had given a baby girl away to a couple named Alex and Cora, and Cora could not have children. And the father of the baby, me, was a brother of Alex. So this information let me know that one of my uncles was my real father. Now I was really in complete shock, and I had all kinds of emotions that arose. I had happiness, I had sadness, anger, and confusion. I was so happy that I had a, a half-brother and a half-sister, and I was relieved to finally know the truth. However, I was deeply embarrassed and realized I was an illegitimate child that was given away. My mother, Martha, apparently was taken care of by my parents, and she signed into the hospital as my birth certificate mom, Cora, and gave all the information that was needed to make my birth certificate legal, showing that Cora and Alex were my parents. However, she left some clues on that birth certificate that I never understood until after knowing the truth. My father's name was turned around, and his first name was his middle name, and his middle name was his first name. Added to that, she stated she also had two living children, which I could never figure out because I knew that my mom, Cora, did not have two living children. She had to send my brother and my sister to a Lutheran orphanage uh, while she was pregnant with me. And then after I was born, she worked as a house mother. And uh, then she made enough money to move back to San Diego, uh, where she had lived previously. She had come back to Detroit, um, where 
where she was from. She was from Michigan originally, and that's when she conceived me. So that's how I found out about my DNA results. Oh, Mary, I, I have spoken with other people who have found out their mother was not their mother, but you are the first NPE that has had a both a birth certificate father and a birth certificate mother. This is, I had no idea your story would go this way. I'm so sorry. That is very shocking. I have some questions. Sure. You're, so you were the third child born to your biological mother. Correct. And she put your half-brother and half-sister into a Lutheran orphanage during that time. Was that so she could hide the pregnancy? Yes. And I, as I have pieced together, I believe that she was cared for by my parents. And um, they they talked about having another apartment in their building. And uh, from what I can gather from my half-sister, uh, she remembers going to the, an apartment to be with my mother, her and my brother, and sleeping in one bed. And I believe that that's where mother was my mother, Martha, was taken, yeah, to hide the pregnancy. Uh, but I, I believe that the family knew, the family, um, my biological family knew she was pregnant. But this way, she was taken care of. She checked into the hospital. The hospital bill was paid. She pretended to be my mother, Cora. So your grandparents probably knew. They They knew that you were... Yes. Yes, they knew. They knew. Okay. You're and you're saying your whole biological family knew. Well, uh, yes, I'm sure that they did. Yes, and my biological family, I believe on my mother's side knew also. Are your half well, you said half brother and half sister. So they right. must have uh, they had another been father from a different father. Father. Right. My mother was married uh and uh, she was married in Detroit, and they moved to California, and that's where my brother and sister were born. And then my mother divorced. And I believe, I don't know, I'm conjecturing that perhaps she moved back to Detroit to get my brother and sister away from their biological father that she had divorced. Why did she give you up for adoption? Um, well, I can only conject, and, um, I think that she was, uh, she couldn't probably handle another child. She didn't want to go through the embarrassment of, uh, having a child out of wedlock. I don't know why my biological father didn't marry her. I have my reasons to think, um think why, maybe, but I don't know. I really don't know. But she kept that a secret from her children for all those years. Oh, they didn't know about you until no. some time later. Right, until she was almost upon her deathbed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your biological mother is no longer with us. Right, right. She died in uh, 2007. Oh, I'm sorry you never got to meet her. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
my half sister Donna, though, she sent me almost immediately um, a booklet, a genealogy booklet, and I was able to look at that booklet and I could uh, see all of my family. And I thought, I am just so lucky after hearing many NPE stories, I could see my aunties and uncles and know the whole family history and how they came from uh, East Prussia and and left that and came to America. So it it was it was good that I knew all this information. It was very re- revealing. Mm, yes, to get all that information is so nice to get an, a picture of what your biological family is like. Yes, as I look through it, Lily, uh, I couldn't see any resemblance for a long time. And then one day I was looking at my mother's wedding picture and then I put it up against my own graduation picture, and it was unmistakable. It was just so unmistakable. And at that point, I knew, I knew definitely it was true. Have you met or seen pictures of your biological father? My biological father? I'm still in a quandary over that. I have, I have seen all of my uncles back when I met my dad, my birth certificate dad, Alex, I have an idea maybe who which one is my father, but I'm not sure. I really can't comment at this time on it, but there's one uncle that I look like um, more than the others. Uh, but I know I know from um, shared matches on ancestry, I know that I am out of that family line. So your uncle, one of your uncles is your father and, and it hasn't yet been confirmed which no, one no. it is, but you have an idea. I have an idea um, and uh, there's no way right now that I can really uh, find out because most people are deceased. So um, if it's meant to be that I find out, it will come forward. <laughs> You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking going back to your story, it's it's almost unfair how your birth certificate mother and birth certificate father, Cora and Alex, at some point were able to be, you know, to be helpful uh, to your biological mother, care for her during mm-hmm. her pregnancy. And yet later in life, after they were incarcerated and the alcoholism, they weren't they they lost that ability to care to care for you yes it's it, it seems such so. a sad shift yes out of this whole story i am so grateful though and see the goodness of why i was given to my grandparents because i developed such a love for native american people and really they became my people so I just feel so uh, blessed in that way. Yes. So you were raised, you have this heritage, Mary Ravenstar. Um, you've obviously, it's it's part of your culture, the Native American culture, the, uh, I believe you were, you said the Kiani clan. Mm-hmm. And now to find out you did what probably 0% Native American that had to have been very hard. Yes, that that was the hardest part of it all. That was uh, the most shocking uh, 
of all of it. Um, so really the way that I've, I've uh, healed through it, I first of all talked to my mentor, um, Ashley. She's from the Center for Sacred Studies that I uh, graduated from and was ordained. And um, she said, take the pictures of all my ancestors and put them on an altar and talk to them every day for three months. And I started doing that. And all I could say sometimes to the pictures back then, four years ago, almost five years ago now, why, why, why? And eventually I, I knew I needed counseling. So I told a good friend I wasn't going to go jump off a cliff, but I just wanted to cover up my head. So I went to um, a Christian counselor and I told her my story. And that was good. Just the release of telling your story, I think, really helps. And on July 2nd, which is uh, my biological mother's birthday, um, that following year, I I flew to Oregon to visit my sister, Donna, and I just had to cement the everything and to find out if it was true. And uh, through that, I met my, my niece, uh, Laura. They were both there at the airport to pick me up, and it was love at first sight. And we hugged and just stared at each other, and we were finally just so happy to have met each other. And so uh, mm. they gave me the royal treatment then, and uh, they took me to uh, even the spot where my mother's ashes were scattered in the ocean by the Neptune Society, and I really appreciated that. And so uh, Donna and I talked deeply through that week that I stayed there and about our stories. And in fact, I stayed in my mom's bedroom, and there was a picture of my grandmother on the dresser. And uh, Laura and her husband later visited me and my husband here. Um, and it, it was just, it's just great to having that. And um, so I've, I've done a lot of healing. And the way I've done it was that I went to the Parliament of the World's Religions uh, that was held in Toronto. And I made my way quickly to the basement where the Native Americans were and listened to them. They were having ceremonies and uh, ancestral healing. And they and I told my story there um, in a group. And uh, I remember them saying, we all have red blood. I think we've probably heard that even um, on other things like Black Lives Matters. But we all have red blood. But they said um, they were mainly talking to white people that are so enthralled, really, with uh, Native Americans and their teachings. Go back to your own ancestors. Go back to your heritage and look for your indigenous roots. And so that's really what I tried to do after leaving the parliament. And I went through many courses through um, on ancestral healing uh, through the Shift Network. And one one teacher that I had was Rabbi Tirsa Firestone. So I thought it would be great to get that little Jewish piece in. I don't even know where that is in my in my chart, but way, way back. Uh, there's 3% Jewish. And then later I found Severance Magazine, and um, I found your podcast, Lily. And and then I knew I wasn't alone. And that I have to say it's so healing. I'm just so glad that you have this service for us and uh, that we can listen to other people's stories and, and really go, Oh, gee, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. And I started reading books then by p different people like Corey Goodrich's folk song. 
and I picked up Sarah Easterly's um, um, Searching for Mom. And um, they were like my heroes then, just my heroes with their stories. And so uh, out of that, I wanted to begin. Uh, I later also went to some another counselor and um, she said to journal and to um, do mindful meditation and to uh, exercise. And and from that, I began journaling. And uh, I thought after reading some stories, I, I want to write a book. And uh, I'm in the process right now. And my book will be called Shattered for Good. But it's a play on words. It's all the good that came out of this. Uh, I'm in, in Sarah's writing class uh, now. And I just took a writing class and uh, I'm now in both writing class, the emotional writing class, and then the one that is directed more for writers that want to publish. The last thing I did was my 75th birthday was in February, and I went back to Detroit. Uh, I have a good friend, um, Peggy, and uh, she she um, we've been prayer partners a long time, and she uh, she listened to my story all the story that I hadn't relayed. She knew about my DNA results, but I relayed everything. And then we went to all the places. She drove me to all the places where I was born, the different places where the crimes were committed that are torn down now, and even to the reception hall where my grandparents got married. And afterwards, we went out to celebrate at a big Polish dinner. Um, also, I... Uh, I joined Al-Anon with a special group of uh, unity ministers, and that's helped me. And the serenity prayer has helped me. So, uh, you know, I can't change my DNA results. All I can do is change my attitude uh, and, and try to look for the good and the positive for all this life story. I, I remember a quote by Oprah. I, I think it goes like this. It's been attributed to Oprah. It doesn't matter what your mother did or what your father didn't do, but it's the energy that you carry. And I'm just trying to carry good, positive energy from all of it. I wrote a poem as I think about the ending of this this call. And I wrote, I am a child of the universe. I was most wondrously made. I am a child of the universe. Cosmic parents always come to my aid. And I think of my cosmic parents now as my mother, father, God, my mother, earth, and father, sky. And so I just move forward. And I hope that my story will help someone else on their journey and to see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Namaste. Mary, thank you so much. I have been writing notes while you just mentioned all the different ways you've worked on your healing. I'm going to be placing so many of the links to the books you mentioned, the Severance Magazine, The um, you mentioned quite a few things, and those are really helpful healing tools. I say the serenity prayer too on a on a frequent basis. It's helped me a lot in this journey. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of these ideas with us. If people wanted to contact you, how could they do that? Yes, they could contact me at Mary Ravenstar2, the number two, at gmail.com. 
Wonderful. Thank you for being willing to let people contact you. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. I got a lot out of it. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.